Welcome back to this week's episode of Bricks and Clicks. Today we are joined by Mike Fada, who has had an incredibly successful career in the CPG world. He co-founded Manitoba Harvest and helped with their sale in 2019 for $419 million. He currently sits on numerous boards and enjoys investing in and advising CPG companies on their retail journey. Mike, welcome to Bricks and Clicks. How are you doing today? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Of course. Colin and I are really excited to just jump right in and talk to you because you've seen a lot, you know a lot, you've done a lot in your in your CPG career. And I know our listeners will be really excited to learn about what, what you can offer and advice that you have. So I'm just going to start off and say, what are you doing these days? What are you up to? How are you helping CPG companies, which I know you love to do? Yeah, it's been, I've been a entrepreneur for 25 years now, which time wow. flies, but from the founding of Manitoba Harvest back in 1998, it's been 25 years. We sold the business three years ago in or in 2019. Yeah. And over the last three years, I've just reorganized myself to be more helping other founders through investment, advisement, board governance, mentorship, and then developing some mass mentorship tools. My The Unstoppable Entrepreneur Newsletter, fatafleischman.org, which is our mass mentorship toolbox. And then I just finished writing a book that launches shortly, Grow 12 Unconventional Lessons for Becoming an Unstoppable Entrepreneur. That's very exciting. And when does the when does the book launch? Where where are we at with that? It's in it's it's in March, yeah. So March March sixth at Expo West is the pre-sale, and then March 20, 28th, it starts shipping. That's awesome. How long have you been working on a book? That seems like a very big task to jump into. What sort of how'd you how'd you get there? And what's that journey look yeah, like? Yeah, it's been I say working on it for twenty five years because yeah, yeah. uh, ever since we started, I started as an entrepreneur and realized that it was about enjoying the journey, and uh, and I'm, I very much did as we grew the business. But just my story is more unique. You know, I never grew up with rich parents. I didn't go to to a school. I actually dropped out. Of, I dropped out of high school before I became an entrepreneur. And there are unconventional lessons that I've learned on on how to grow and and establish and grow your business. And so I've wanted to share that for a very long yeah. time. And it's really only been the last two years that I had the time and the resources to finally bring the product to fruition. I'm excited about it. That's cool. very cool. Colin and I are also entrepreneurs, and but we've only done it for five years. We have our five-year anniversary for Omnium this week, tomorrow, actually. So I hope we can make nice. it to 25 Congrats. years, which is... You know what tremendous. they say, the first the first five years are the hardest. Really? Wow. Yeah. I like to hear that. That's, that's good news, Colin. We made it. We um, made it. So yeah, it's very exciting. <laughs> yeah. Can you give us a sneak peek on one of the 12 unconventional rules or, or guidelines that you'd offer to founders, maybe for the CPG world, something that might be more tuned to them? For sure. A big one is about following your passion. And and there's there's naysayers on this, but this is yeah. my this is my view. And and as it relates to the CPG industry and your listeners, people talk about product market fit all the time, like, hey, you got to establish your product yeah. and, and, and see if there's a fit there. I'm a big believer in in founder product market fit. It's critical that there's a tie between why the founder, why are they doing this? Why are they creating this product? Their why. Um, and then also, you know, how that founder relates to the market and and use that example of like a meat eater is not going to be launching a plant-based protein product, right? And so that, that founder product market fit is really at the core of it. It's all about passion. And I'm a big believer in passion because if you're passionate about what you're doing and you're enjoying the journey, you will outcompete other entrepreneurs, competitors that are in your space time and time again. How, how you find that in yourself and, and analyze it, there's some great, you know, how I found my passion, but some questions to tee up to help guide the the reader into their own passion journey. Yeah. And I imagine the passion yeah, part- Yeah, it's like, so true, right? Passion part plays cool. in so much like, it's got to be a long sustained effort, right? You said like the first five years are the hardest and a lot of I know a lot of stories we hear like 15 years before a product takes off. So the passion has to play a lot into the grind as well. It's hard to be excited about something for 15 years you're not passionate about. And so it, 
Yeah, if you're doing it just for the money, like the, the flip side of that, if you're do, if you're starting a business because you, you want to you, you just for the money, you think you want to make money, your major obstacles that you come up with, most people are going to quit at that mm-hmm. time. Yeah. But if you really enjoy what you're doing and you could see yourself doing it for the rest of your life or for a long part of your life, you're going to be interested in getting better at it, learning more, trying new things, taking risks. And, and that's that's ultimately how you win, especially in the consumer packaged goods business. That's one, but there's there's 12 lessons in there around building community, going to market in a, in a different approach. So excited for people to fully dig into the book. I think it's going to add a lot yeah. of value. And are they all, is the book specifically business focused or is it personal development or is it personal development disguised as business focused? Because I know you've had a long journey of personal growth and development as well. Yeah. My story is interwoven, obviously, through the book. And it is a lot about personal and professional growth. But I, I don't think you could be an entrepreneur without a desire, interest to to personally grow, because if not, you're going to get chewed up and beaten up over time. You have to grow. You have to learn and grow personally. Mindfulness practice, reflection on yourself. What are your strengths and weaknesses personally that you're bringing to the business? How do you, how do you have to get better at that? Maybe that's healing past traumas. Maybe that's learning a new skill set. Um, and, and so personal growth is a big part of entrepreneurial success. What are your, because Colin and I spent a lot of time talking about these things over the years around mindfulness. What are some, what's your routine or what's one highlight of your routine that you do every day or you try and do every day to get you in the right mindset for things? A big part of my morning routine is, is staying off my phone until I focus on my outputs for the day. So don't, don't take in inputs and start eating on this rabbit hole. When I was entrepreneur, it was hard. I used to grab my phone on the way to the washroom, brushing my teeth or whatever. And I'd be looking at emails coming in and already there's chaos. And so Stay away from my phone, but I took a workshop in Baba G's Kriya Yoga, which is a it's a form of meditation, a meditation practice. So I, I think any form of meditation is going to be helpful, and there's lots of great apps and tools that people can use. I just I went to this workshop, fell in love with it. It taught you pranayama, deep breathing exercises, and then and then after that, a form of meditation. So I've been doing that for ten years now, and and it's multi stages of meditation where you're you're clearing the mind, uh, and then and then you're you're really visioning and you're doing a visioning exercise through meditation. And I found that to be really helpful because if you could think it and you can put your full capacity of your mind there, you're, you're going to achieve that. It's like having a vision board up in your office and 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 staring at it, but intensified because you're internalizing it. Yeah. I know, Colin, you can speak to it, your meditation past, but yeah, the, the 10 day silent retreat you did, I thought was one of the coolest things. And yeah, why don't you talk a little bit? Yeah, I, I, cool. I have a practice that is a big part of your life. Yeah, it's been stronger or weaker depending on the time. Things got a little squirrely during the pandemic, I'm sure for a lot of us, but daily practice is like the thing that kind of held it together as long as I could hold it together for. And now it's a fun time coming back out of that and like rebuilding these things up. It's funny to see like I used to not be on my phone, I think, until eight in the morning was my rule. Like my phone would be on airplane mode until eight in the morning. And literally this morning I was like doing the on my phone, brushing my teeth, walking to work. I was like, I'm crushing it doing these emails. Probably not good for me long term, but I'm getting a lot out here. And <laughs> so when you mentioned that, I was just thinking, Feels I was good. like, oh, I should probably do the airplane mode thing again. But the silent, yeah, the silent retreat thing, John, John there's that Vipassana retreats. And I had recently did one of those. Actually, it was coming out of it. I went in when we were starting to hear about COVID and then coming out of yeah. the 10-day silent meditation retreat. It's like, oh, COVID's happening. I'll never forget that. I remember you called me right after and your first question to me was, what's going on with COVID? And I was like, I don't know. It doesn't seem like it's that bad right now. It's just, it's, Worse. it hasn't gotten crazy because like middle of February. But I remember thinking like, if Colin's been thinking about that for 10 days, there's something's going on here. And then, yeah, yeah sure enough, here we are three years later and still dealing with it. So the 10-day meditation retreat was cool, yeah, but really great. it was yeah. like the daily stuff that I was doing, I think, anyone interested, like the the little bit you could do every day, the 10 minutes every day, way more valuable than 10 days of silence. Orders of magnitude more powerful. Yeah, I think, you know, it's, 
100%. Some of those workshops just drill it into you, help you get the discipline of the routine. When you fire up that full routine, you set it there. It's like brushing your teeth. When it becomes that normal, wow, is it a, is it a powerful thing? And, and not too much different than other physical exercises I've found. When someone teaches you how to do a push-up properly, you start doing push-ups every day, just a couple here and there. Wow, after six months or a year, you're a much different person. And so it is that constant daily improvement. Mm-hmm. Awesome. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back to talk more about the CPG world and what lessons Mike can share about founding and running a company. Hey Johnny, are you going to Expo West? Of course I'm gonna be there, Colin. It's my favorite time of the year and I'm gonna be there from March 8th to March 11th with the entire Omnium crew, including you. That's great. I know I'll see you there and I hope to see a lot of our listeners there too. Reach out on LinkedIn, let us know where we can find you. Now back to your regularly scheduled programming. All right, we're back. Mike, we know you got your book coming out. It's launching at Expo. But I'd love to talk about what we talk about a lot in Bricks and Clicks, and that's trade marketing, customer marketing, account planning. What do you advise the companies that you invest in or work with, how to think about that, about how to think about their relationship with the customer, not the consumer, as you're working with them? Yeah, I'm a I'm a big fan of density. And we, we talk about an inch wide and a mile deep all, all the time in CPG. Yeah. People that are starting out. I like that. Hey, let's start with 10 stores first that are in like a 10 kilometer, 10 mile radius of your office or your house and start there from a distribution standpoint so that you can make friends in those stores, have an impact, get your product on the shelf, learn a tremendous amount, and then use that as a base to grow maybe to 50 stores or 100 stores and, and continue to grow. And that approach is scalable all the way up. The things that we're looking for is obviously an understanding of what the velocity expectations are in the product category that you're selling. And it's a a lot different, but you'd be amazed at how many entrepreneurs that I talk to that are like, hey, we're in a thousand stores and we're selling two units per week per store. And I'm like, what's the expectation in that category? And they're like, I don't know. And you're like, I think it's six and you're in trouble, right? Like how do you change velocity in a thousand stores to 3X velocity unless you have millions and millions of dollars to do it in a lot of time? It's just just not going to happen. Having a slow start, a local start where you can actually go in and talk to the owner, talk to the buyer, talk to the category manager, understand what their velocity expectation is. And then my strategy is I want to be 25% better than the velocity expectation for those stores. If they're expecting six units a week, I want to sell seven or eight units a week because if you're doing that and you're growing the category, you're going to be able to have more SKUs that you're going to be able to put on the shelf when they're yeah. doing category resets. When they're talking to their retailer friends, they're going to be praising your product. And that's the momentum that you want to get. There's no point in expanding distribution until you have those success stories on, on velocity. But first, you got to have an understanding of what your target is and getting yourself to that. Yeah, it's such a great point. I think I want to just dive a little bit deeper in that in terms of how to find that velocity threshold. Because we call it like a safety threshold or, hey, if you're above this velocity in the category, you're going to be doing all right. And if you're really above it, like 25%, then you're in a good spot. What are some strategies or tips about how to get that number? Because it's not well known. It's not, I guess, a well-defined number either. Yeah, I know you, your listener base is probably just starting out and, yeah. then, and then growing and scaling their business. So you have, you have different different entrepreneurs. When, when you're a big company, you buy data and you analyze data yeah. and you understand like what's happening in the category. But for a lot of startups and younger entrepreneurs that are just starting out in CPG, you need to make friends in the store to be able to have a relationship with the store to be able to get that data. Or you need to have a relationship with your peers that are much maybe bigger companies that are buying some of that data. You, you need to be able to get at it. But you'd be amazed of... I, 
so many entrepreneurs, it's a, you, when you go in and ask and, and you're selling a, a new coffee tea product and you go in and you say like, what's the lowest uh, seller yeah. in your store mm -hmm. on average and what's your highest and where's the average for you? That's a pretty easy ask if you're in there doing a demo and helping the store sell some yeah. product, no? Because you got friends in the store and, and you string together five or 10 of those and, and you'll have an understanding of what's happening in your local region or whatever that region is and, and what the expectation is. It doesn't need to be perfect. You just need to understand because- if you don't have an understanding, you don't have a goal, you're usually under it. And if you're <laughs> under it, people are surprised. Oh, what happened? Six months later, we got delisted. If we only would have known, you, you, you would have known if you would have known the yeah. questions to ask. Uh, or actually, yeah, I love that getting scrappy. And even when you're medium sized too, you can be pretty scrappy. So many times we work with, with brands who are just a little too small to buy data. But if you just ask enough buyers, it's like someone gives you a report and sometimes they give you a report with some tabs that maybe you shouldn't have got, but they don't really care that much. And so you can, I know like you can leverage little one-time polls and tidbits of data quite a bit when you're getting, even the medium-sized companies. One question. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. yeah, it was a big strength of ours at Mentable Harvest was, was just having a lot of a lot of, and I'm a big believer in make friends first, do business second, and a lot of friendships in the industry and, and just and being able to get at the information that we're looking for. We get these, a couple of these questions a lot. I was looking through our, our backlog of ones that people have, have sent us to say, see what ones might be interesting to you. But there was some here around velocity that I wanted to toss at you and see what you were thinking about the mic. And this one, we hear, we hear this a lot. Question comes up about, oh, should we, are there any chains we should avoid? And I'm not looking to like name chains, but when you're looking where to grow distribution, people often say, are there any chains we should not try and get distribution in? Or any chains, if they come to us, we should say no to? Kind of interested in your thoughts about that. It's a great question. I'm a big believer in the strategic planning of where we want mm -hmm. to go. And so taking and making a list, prioritizing a customer list from one to 25 or one to 50 or wherever scale your business is at, having that priority list, because there's going to be a big difference in velocity depending on the, the chain or even the channel. Yep. I'll give you a real, real, real time mm -hmm. example. Like uh, hemp hearts, when we were selling hemp hearts at Whole Foods, it would probably be 20 or 25 units per week per store. But if we step down into a grocery chain, that, that velocity would probably go down into half of that, like 10 or 12 units per week per store. And then if we went down into like a drug chain, which we, we played in all channels, but if we went down to a drug store, we were selling one unit per week mm -hmm. per store. And mm -hmm. so on our priority list, we wanted to be everywhere because our mission was to make hemp foods available to all consumers. But if we had an opportunity to go into another natural foods account or a grocery account, it would just make more logical sense than some of these opportunities to go into thousands of drug stores and not realize there's a cost to doing business with that customer and your velocity might not be there. So having an understanding for your category and your brand by channel is also a key part to, to just putting your strategic plan At together. the end of the day, did you guys end up saying no to anyone? Like I'm thinking like a food line, not to pick on food line, but just they just, their velocity skew low and they have a lot of stores. So like you do push your national average velocity down, not because you're doing poorly, but just because the num it's a numbers game. Did you ever say no to, to any uh, anyone for reasons like that? We were growing so rapidly. I think that we had the ability to cover up some of the mistakes and some of the lower, lower mm -hmm. sales doors that we went into. So I learned that lesson, but I learned it and I was still successful. I teach that lesson to our portfolio companies and to founders that I talk to because it can go wrong. If you expend your working capital on a lower velocity account like that, just because you think that it's you don't know what the expectation is, um, and then you run out of working capital when the Whole Foods or your real customer that you're targeting comes knocking or you finally get a chance to get into them, that's the worst case scenario. I've seen it happen in, in too many brands from my liking. And, and so I want to make sure that entrepreneurs are thinking about it that way. So more of a, like a risk so management for, exercise than a, like sure. the velocity is low, so we don't like them kind of approach. 
Yeah, it, you know, we don't, no CPG brand has enough resources to do it all, even the large ones. And so you have to prioritize and make your bets. And I'm a big fan of doing a mini product P&L by customer, right? Understanding if you're going into a chain, how much is it going to cost you to free fill into that chain or pay for slotting? How much is, how much is it going to cost you to, to maintain that account if they want you to advertise a certain amount or, or do any other kind of in-store activities? Uh, what's the velocity expectation of, of selling? If you're putting two or three SKUs in that account, how many units per week per store are you going to sell? What's the annualized volume for that? And you could say, oh, wow, we're spending $200,000 to go into this store. <clears throat> and we're thinking that it's going to yield maybe $200,000 in revenue per year. That's going to be a while before you pay back that and yeah. get, get into a, a possible you're positive gross margin. You're speaking our language, yeah. Mike. And what you just described there is we call that account planning, right? Where it's just that detailed work. And that's what we do with our brands that we work with as well, right? Is go customer by customer and build the P&L and manage that investment. Because at the end of the day, you have those trade dollars that you get to invest. And we like the pay for performance type model where it's got to be worth it. We got to be getting something for it. And it's got to make sense financially. And those are decisions that brands get to make, right? Do they want it to be a 26-week break even or a 52-week break even? You get to make those decisions and that's how you manage your risk. So. Yeah. Yeah. So I, yeah. And Johnny, I think the, that's, I like to think about it as the farming mentality because you should be looking at all those things like you would if you're a farmer, you have a plan. What crop are you going to plant? What, what's your expectation of the yield? Instead of a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of entrepreneurs get trapped in the hunting mentality and they're like, I need sales. I want to grow the business and I'm going to go out mm -hmm. there and old oh, chain gives me an opportunity. When we know some of the, some of the chains in Canada and the US need new things and, and they'll give a new brand a shot. They're not going to lose on that because no. they get the, they get the, they get the trade spending and the slotting yeah. dollars. And, and maybe six months later, if it didn't work, they, they, they have a new brand that's, that's spending that. So all, all the risk is really on the entrepreneur. And so you just got to be thinking about, you got to be thinking about prioritization and, and, and farming what you want to, what, what you want to uh, success to look like. Yeah. Last point on that one. There's actually, that's a, that's a, that I'll, there's a real life example just very recently where we're kind of brand, we got kicked out of one of these retailers, one of these lower velocity retailers. And it, everyone was down being like, oh, we lost distribution. And I looked back at it and said, wait a second, we only thought we were going to get 52 weeks out of this. Like we, we fully expected to go into distribution and get kicked out in 52 weeks and we were going to make money on that. And then we got kicked out in two and a half years. So it's like, we made a lot of money on that more than we thought. So like you said, like, yeah, having that customer P&L set up ahead of time also allows you to evaluate your decisions back going back in time, because just because you got discontinued doesn't mean it was a bad decision or bad performance. Although, of course, we would prefer to not get discontinued. <laughs> Love to keep that shelf space. And so move on to a different sales control, Mike, around pricing which is with inflation and all the price increases, I'm sure most of your companies, if not all of them, have, have taken some sort of pricing action. How, how are you advising them now heading into 2023? What are you seeing and, and what are you advising? Yeah, we talked about customer P&Ls. I'm a big fan of product P&Ls as well and truly understanding your product cost. I'm bullish on manufacturing. I like I like portfolio companies that are manufacturing because maybe you have some upside to volume. Yep. A lot of times if you're co-packed, you, you don't. I've seen too many entrepreneurs that think it's going to get better when they sell more volume, but that maybe that's not the case. There's just as many headwinds of price increases or price, you know, the costing increase to them. Um so you need to be ahead of that. And it's a fine line. It's, it's, it's razor thin, especially if you're in a commoditized category or you have strong competitors putting your price up so you have the proper margin to fund your business, but your, your competitors are bigger and they don't put their price up. It can be challenging on your, on your growth. We, we saw that in because we're, we were dealing with such an agriculture base in, in, with hemp, like organic hemp seed, the price literally went up year after year for, for several years until the price doubled within three years of, of our 
cost at, at the at the farm gate and and we were being a responsible business and we had our we had a, a strong 50% gross margin target and so we we continued to put our price up ahead of our competitors because our competitors were taking kind of any sale that was possible yeah. we were farming the right sale that we want and so I'm a, if you can you need the data first to really understand your business and, and I, I'm a bigger believer in being proactive because if you do get those price increases through and you have the right margin the sustainable margin you can then use that margin for whatever you need to support the business. Sometimes it's even more promotional allowance and, and, uh, and allowances if, if that's what that's what needs to be had to keep up with the competition or keep the retailer happy. So yeah, it don't, don't, the worst case scenario is waiting t- too long. And then because some retailers, they have blackout periods, obviously it could take six months. I've had some of the Canadian retailers where it's been over a year to get a price increase through. And, uh, and so it's not, it's not always just a, a, as simple as executing it when you're ready. Yeah. You got to build in the lead time. And I think the point around spending some of it back is a big deal. Mm-hmm. Take it now, and if you get some savings down the road or you overestimate it, yeah, you just spend it back with the trade, with the customer, and that'll impact the consumer's average price, which is powerful, versus taking a price decline. Yeah. Where we don't want to do that. If we can avoid it, it's use your trade dollars, which is much more flexible on a year-to-year basis. The other thing is like... You- yeah, I see I see a lot of I see a lot of founders fail at uh, even initial pricing structure not not just doing not doing a and it's not that complex a simple product p&l yeah. of what's all your, what's all your cost in your labor yeah. your overhead your materials to make this product what's your promotional discount annualized that you're going to put into this product and, and then make sure you have the right margin there to to fund all your below the line expenses but I see too many people that are they don't put in enough promotional yes. allowance and 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 then they're they're they they just can't like when they go and say Whole Foods wants to do a promotion they want thirty percent off they go we can't even do thirty percent off annualize it's going to push us over where our our promotion was you go we just didn't build the pricing yeah. right in the first yeah. place if you're ever worried that That's you're too high point. also it's yeah. like you can always take the price down no one's going to fight you on a price decrease I, I learned I learned this one a little later than I should so we're probably ten years into business and we were maybe a ten million dollar company and had some scale but. I'm like get a, get to some retailers that they're like we don't need we won't even do business with you if you don't do a, a 25% off or you won't get off shelf unless you're doing a 30% discount and I, and I, and then I realize I'm like 30% off what didn't really matter it's the 30% <laughs> off is important for them and some consumers right yeah. if you a 25 30% off looks really attractive on shelf to to buy but you're like okay then put your put your everyday price up 20% so you can afford to do that. Don't not have enough promotional dollars. We know where that goes. It, it, you're much more likely to be a stale product on the shelf and you can't just you can't afford to do the demo. You can't afford to do the off shelf. You can't afford to to, to fund the growth yeah. of the business. That's why like average price becomes important too. Like I know a lot of people say we need to be five ninety nine or whatever the number is. And that was an average price. And then you go out of five ninety nine, you start promoting and you're like, we're at four ninety nine. <laughs> And so that could be like really, really important. Like you said, your customer PLs and product PLs. Build in your trade plan. Know that you're going to be at eight ninety nine every Build day. Build in your trade. Do bogos. There's a lot of different ways to get to average prices. And like you said, the, all these customers have these different constraints, and uh, usually there's a way to make it work with each of them if you have the margin to do stuff. So that's so important. We just we, recently we've had we we're laughing when you started talking about having margin because we've recently had so many people who have said exactly those things who've gone through it with the low margins and it hasn't worked. Nice to hear. So Mike, moving on to a different topic, we want to talk about the CPG industry and what you're seeing. What are the trends right now as we move into 2023 and heading into Expo, obviously coming up here in a month and a half or so, what's happening in the industry? What are you seeing? Yeah, I see this continued trend on redefining classics, I'll, I'll, I'll call it, food yeah. products or just products where consumers have been going there for the last number of years, cleaner label, more simple ingredients, almost like they would make it at home if you could pull that off depending on on your product. So 
the reinvented cereal, the reinvented pop tart, the reinvented kind of every every classic done and and continuing to clean up the label. That's one that I see across many categories. But I think, and it's been intensified by COVID. I think it was already trending there, but need states as well, like allergen allergen friendly products are are continuing to to grow. And now even new it used to be just gluten free or celiac. Now you have FODMAP and a number of other kind of subcategories of it, but it all comes around to a, you know, call it a, a consumer that, that is looking for that certain need state. Other need states, obviously energy is a big one and will yeah. continue on. Immune support because of what, what we've been through the last number of years has been intensified. Weight loss is always there. And so thinking about if I was inventing a new product, if you can be yeah. the best of both of those worlds, very clean ingredient list and, and then, and what consumers are after there on a on a classic, but also satisfying a need state, you're probably getting into that a triple or home run mm -hmm. kind of category. Any specific brands you you'd recommend we try and check out at Expo West? All the portfolio companies for, for sure. <laughs> what if you you haven't, uh, Name, give us a couple. You haven't already. Give us a the oldest one in the portfolio is Own Mushrooms. So they, yeah. they they great products there. I think I think the the one that's making the most noise that probably a lot of your listeners know about so just because they're out there is Midday mm -hmm. Squares, based out of Montreal. Sure. They have the the new cookie dough uh, bar, which has just been been flying in the in the new year on the on the launch. Bloom is maybe one that you haven't heard of. It's the newest in my my portfolio. Reinventing classic beverages done in a done in a whole food recipe, a whole food ingredients, and then from also mentioned nuts for cheese, which has been taken the U.S. by storm. Yes. Canadian, good Canadian yeah. company. Uh, I chair the board. Organic, cashew-based, dairy-free cheeses, uh, just phenomenal products. And there's some new stuff coming out at Expo. Oh, definitely stop. Yeah, we tried nuts for yeah. cheese at Expo East. At Expo East, it was it was tremendous. Yeah, it was a great product. I'm really I, really. I do not eat one. the dairy cheese, and so. it was one of it's it's definitely one of my favorite non-dairy cheeses. Like. Most of them are bad, to be yeah. completely honest. I'm a flexitarian. Yeah. I just yours was not. Yeah, I'm a flexitarian myself. I, I I just I never like non-dairy cheeses because they all and, and most of them are made with starches, oils, and protein powders. So they're they're a little bit more made in the laboratory. Where Margaret Coons, the founder of of Nuts for Cheese, was a chef, a plant-based chef, and she invented them at the restaurant first, and then took them to the farmers market, and they're 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 whole food. They're, she makes her own cultures in in house and. And ferments the uh, cheeses, and and they just. I've had friends over at my house that I've had the I've had the cheeses out on a board, and and yeah. some of them, I got into some arguments of like, no, that's real cheese, and you're like, no, it's not. <laughs> it's made from cashews, but it's taste the taste and the mouthfeel and all that really really yeah. satisfies. It's also extra exciting to me as an amateur fermentologist and vegan that just that that it's real cultures. It's it's really exciting. Yeah. yeah. Well, cheese cheese that can uh, help your microbiome. Yeah. Come on, that's that's what we're talking about. It's it's satisfying this. Clean Clean ingredient, yeah. but then there's also a, a need state. Like you're, you're, it's good for your gut instead mm -hmm. of instead of maybe a lot of people would struggle yeah. with dairy. Plus, it's Canadian. Yeah, and we're all Canadian, so we always love supporting Canadian brands. So, which is great. I got something really random to throw at you, Mike. This was not a, not on script, but when you talked about reinventing old brands, and you're Canadian, and I think this brand was more important in Canada, we do something called a "What's in Your Pantry" sometimes, where we pull a random item out of our pantry and describe it and get someone to guess it and talk about it. I just happen to have an item in my bag that is a reinvented old brand that was big in Canada when Johnny and I were kids. I want to see if you can guess it. I'll tell you if if you were in when you were in like okay. elementary school, probably it would have like the highest value trade value for trading lunches. Not at all good for you. It's not environmentally friendly. If you could think about it now, the like packaging to actual what's in there ratio very is very high. It's very sweet. It's kind of dessert. It's a two-parter product. You get to take one thing and do something else with it. Recently came back oh. out, out of the, it was, it didn't exist for many years and it's come back. 
not ringing bells, I can show you a picture of the package because I happen to have it in my backpack and see if this rings a bell for you. Oh, Dunkaroos. Dunkaroos are yeah. back. Dunkaroos. Yeah. <laughs> actually, what, actually, what I was thinking about when you said that, it was two-part and you dip it. I was thinking about those dip sticks, but that's it was These were shelves. I bought these at a Meyer, and they were shelved before the the like cheese, the like crack, the the little cheese dip sticks. They were shelved in the same area. Dunkaroos are back. Dunkaroos. Yeah, someone's got to take the Dunkaroos and make it better Make a better you, Dunkaroos. I think they made these worse. You, they made these worse and less environmentally <laughs> friendly. The recycling is a number seven recycling, which I don't think I've ever seen on a list of things that are recyclable. Yeah, may, maybe a little hydrogenated vegetable oh, yeah. oil in there i didn't even i didn't even look at the ingredient label that was pure nostalgia but it does speak to value of he said reinventing old brands and and, and bringing them back we'll see how they turn yeah we'll check the meyer data on that one yeah. see how fast dunkaroos sell <laughs> yeah awesome with that mike i think we're gonna wrap it up this has been a an awesome time chatting with you i really appreciate the time i know you got a lot going on and uh, hopefully we'll see you down in expo in anaheim yeah sounds good um, i'll i'll send you a i'll send you an invite to the to the book launch and come and get a signed copy say hi so people can go and see you signing books at Expo? Yep. Yeah. Um, you can sign up to my newsletter is The Unstoppable Entrepreneur. You can go to mikefada.ca and sign up and uh, and there'll be uh, some announcements out in the coming weeks. Either that or LinkedIn if people want to connect with me. Connect on LinkedIn. I'm active on LinkedIn on a daily basis as well. And uh, yeah, get the word out. Great. Thank you so much. Thanks, Mike. Great yeah, chatting Thanks, with guys. You. See ya. Good rest of your day. <laughs>